If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. Daniel, Jordan, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, for, having thanks for having us. us. Yeah, it's always good fun to record in person in Sydney today, which yeah. is a bit of fun. Thanks for bringing the weather as well. Well, it's actually sunny outside. <laughs> yeah, right now. now it's sunny. How yeah. convenient. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I did escape the weather in Melbourne to come up here and uh, it's been good. Sydney's turned it on, um, except for today. But we are actually going to answer a question for this episode on buying a business versus say building a business because when we do the Q&As and we love to hear from you so please send your questions in there's a link in the show notes to submit your questions even though we've only done one Q&A session we're going to record the next one after this a lot of the questions are on this line of should I buy a business what do I need to look for I've got a business I'm going to buy another business Maybe before we get to the question, which came from Thomas the Tank, which is a great name, why do you guys think so many people ask this question? I think because there's so many success stories. I think there's so many people that have, you know, bought businesses, made them even better than what they were. They've made money off it. The only sort of downfall is you don't hear about the ones that failed Mm. or the ones that didn't go very well. You just don't hear about them. But there's lots of success stories. There's heaps of good businesses you can buy. I think people also think it's a lot easier. And I think that's not true all the time because you're also taking on, you're taking on existing clients, suppliers, and you don't know what relationships have already been built between the existing owner and clients and um, suppliers. So it's not always easy. Oh, it's not easy at all. But uh, uh, there's a lot of good business owners that just you know buy, flip, sell, or run. There's there's a lot of high value and even sort of buying a business from the organizational structures that they might have in place, the employees that are already running through, contracts that are fixed in place. There's so, there are so many sort of positives in finding sort of this piece of gold, but finding that piece of gold is that differentiates whether you're going to sort of make it or if it's going to be sort of a lost investment. Somewhere. Yeah. I know you, Daniel, you're working on a, quite a few of these recently, but maybe for both of you guys, you've been doing this long enough. Would you say that on average, deals tend to go well, like it tends to be a success, however you want to define that. Because on the stock market side, when we see big mergers and acquisitions, it goes wrong most of the time. Yeah. That's what the studies suggest. I think they they generally go quite well because the person is in there every day. It's not like ASX where it's, it's not buy, I guess, and forget, but the owner is actually in there and they're working in there every day 
have got, impact. Exactly. Whether it's a, a plumbing business or whatever it may be, that person is generally a plumber. Yeah. They, they get the industry, they get the business. So I think generally they do work on the smaller businesses. Yeah, I, th- I think it does work well. I think we see a lot of success because we back the person yeah. as well. So a lot of the times it's, it's backing the right people around you and our people rely on good networks. You know, we've got good solicitors running through contracts. We've got obviously us doing the due diligence behind it from a financial point of view. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. There's a lot of negotiation to get a good price as well. So having the right people around you to go through the process with you is super important. If you're just going to walk off the street with no business experience, no industry experience, call it you know half a million dollar inheritance into a business without checking contracts, without doing a financial due diligence, without going through the motions, because it does take time. How long would you say it takes like for you guys and for the full process to go through? Really hard to say because we are so dependent on the vendor providing information agreeing to provide some information. There's a lot of people that don't sort of, they can refuse to provide information. For example, bank statements is the most common thing people just hate providing. They go, no, that's mine. You're not buying the shares of the company. You're buying the business, so you don't need to see the bank account. For us, that is the business. (laughs) You know, if you're running personal expenses, that's a a problem that we're trying to iron out here. So is that the common thing? So people don't supply the bank statements because they might have, that old thing where they have they just a business, don't want to. but they might have a car that's actually for them yeah. and they don't want that to show up in the financials and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. spot on. So the, the, it's a really difficult process and, you know, it can be a quick, you know, one, two, three month sort of turnaround, but that's pending that the vendor's motivated to sell. They're motivated to comply with your needs and that all the information's true and correct. Mm. Where if you've got scenarios where the information comes back, the bank statements showing the financial statements don't line up to the physical statements. There's rich stock recorded, but it's never been stock taked. There's an abundance of, of documents that are requested. Yeah. And if it's not, if they don't hand them over easily, then it becomes a nightmare. It takes time. It takes a lot Six of time. Six plus months pending. Probably the, the most recent ones we've been doing probably three months. Probably about months. three months. So three three months is a, is a really clean in and out sort of working out process because we've got to give time for the solicitors to go through the contracts as well. So- and the negotiation because what the seller thinks their business is valued at because they spent the last, you know, 20, 30 years working mm-hmm. in it is far more than what a seller or a buyer wants to yeah. more or less get it for because they want to get it as cheap as possible to make their sort of return on investment as best as possible. And the seller has, one, an emotional attachment to it and, two, it's probably their retirement plan potentially or they're trying to make a gain of whatever. So they want to sell it for as high as possible. The price differences that we see are huge. Yeah. Like we're not even talking about like they're not within, you know, even a hundred grand of each other. They're yeah. like a million. Well <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, right. So that that makes it difficult. That slows down the whole process. The, the seller might turn around and go, no, I'm not willing to sell for that price. Yeah. They walk away. They reconvene in a month or two. Yeah. It's just like a, it's a back and forth. Yeah. This, okay. So we, the question comes from Thomas the Tank, which says, rather than starting a business from scratch, I'd love to hear about how to go about purchasing an existing business. How do people find worthwhile, a, a high margin, profitable, potential field businesses, uh, so many pizza slash coffee stores, exclamation mark. What are the pitfalls slash hurdles? Are business brokers worth engaging? Love to know some stories from those who've done it. So we're going to walk you through, or the guys will walk you through Basically, all the things to keep in mind. And as you will discover, there is a lot to keep in mind. Yeah. So 
you know, you just heard maybe three or six months is the is the program. And this may be coming from someone that doesn't actually have business experience. So we don't know Thomas the Tank's background. Like it sounds like instead of starting from scratch, they just want to buy one. So there, I guess there are pros and cons with that. So where do we start? I guess maybe start with funding and how that works. And Yeah, so, so funding's a, probably an easy one to touch on because there's not that many ways to, to be able to fund. You've got a couple options. One, just equity funds. So if you've got, you know, money laying around, Overdraft facility, you probably want to take some money out. You want to utilize it. So like redraw it. on your, yeah. your home yeah. or whatever. If you've got a bit of equity there and you want to use that towards something like a business, whether you've just saved, you've got a bunch of money saved over years, you can go down debt financing as well, whether it's loans. You secure your house and or a property. Yeah. You can, sometimes you can even secure the business itself and the bank will lend on that. Yeah. Um, so you can put the pizza shop in this example down um, as security and the bank might lend you 50%. So that's an option. There's yeah. also uh, vendor finance, which is pretty common. Can where, you just explain that? Yeah. Yeah. So vendor finance, let's say we're going to go buy a pizza shop for 200 grand. I might put down 100,000 and then the remaining 100,000, I'll pay that over the next 12 months out of the profits from the business. Okay. So that's something that both the buyer and seller have to sign off on. Which makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, depending it on definitely the- suits the buyer. Yeah, because you don't have to fund the cash up front, right? Correct. Exactly. You can use the business to pay it off. Exactly. And the good thing about that as well, um, this can be, this theory is also used across all, all ways of purchasing a business is you can have like a retentions type of thing at the end where you can say, if I lose, maybe not so much for the pizza shop, but maybe more of a service-based business where if I lose 20% of the clients at purchase, then that'll reduce the price by X amount. Yeah, that's that's common in more service-based businesses. So if you you guys are accountants, if you were buying an accounting firm, you might have something like that in there. Like For sure you would. Because yeah. the clients might leave because the, the account that they know and they worked with is no longer there. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So that's that's quite common as well for a service-based business. Trades, um, professional services, but yeah. that's probably the summary of how to finance them. But there's obviously a lot more, but they're the most common ones. Yeah, you can get creative. For these, these levels of businesses, we're not talking mm-hmm. ASX companies. It's very yeah. different. So. That's what we usually see here. So just in terms of the financing again, if someone was going to use debt from a bank, mm-hmm. in your experience, is it common that there would be like 50-50, like the bank wouldn't lend more than yeah. 50-50? I, I, I did one, I think, last week, and that was exactly what the bank came back with. So they said, we'll give you it, but only 50%. Yes, and you need to match it. Yeah, right. And again, that in itself is a lengthy process because the bank is also doing- Their own due diligence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To make sure this business is actually worth what you're saying it's worth. And it can- earn the profits to pay the bank back as well as the, the new owner. So that also adds to, um, adds to the length of the whole process. I always get really nervous with this stuff, guys, because like I just think there's so many things that you don't know yeah, about. Is. Like it's, it's a very risky so, process. You have to be really thorough. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of ticks and checks. But even when you're thorough, there's still things that. Relationships. Those types exactly. Of promises even, made that you don't know warranties. About. You know, depending on what you do, there might be warranties from, you know, Say pool, you know, you're a pool company, a pool you put in, you know, five years ago, the, the shell cracks, for example, yeah. you're, you're still liable for that as well. Unless you've got clauses in the contract saying that all warranties are linked personally to the previous sort of owner, owner which for seller isn't a great clause, like the business would be liable for that. So there's so many things that can go wrong down this path because you weren't in control up until settlement, really. Okay, so normally, so this is where you get a lawyer in the room. We, would, we should have got a lawyer in to answer this question with us. But um, normally, you get a lawyer in the room to help with this sort of stuff. Yeah. When someone comes to you with this, if they want to buy or if they want to sell, mm-hmm. 
you would, I imagine, refer a lawyer in. Yes. Yeah. And they would be the ones that go and find all the contracts? Like who's responsible for that? So generally the seller will provide a contract to the buyer Mm -hmm. and then the buyer will send it to their solicitors to review. Okay. They will discuss key risks, clauses they would like implemented if they're not already there, adjustments to clauses that have been put in. So the the original contract obviously benefiting the buyer and we're putting clauses in there to try and sort of limit the risk and you're trying to just throw as much risk as possible back to the original owner yep. via personal guarantees. But even then, that's, that's that's a hard process. If something does go wrong, it's not like they're going to be directly liable. It's like, no, you still got to fund it. you got to still fund, fix the problem. And then you go through a civil process after the fact, asking for reimbursement. And relying on that contract. Relying on the contract going, if they're refusing to, saying, oh, no, not my problem. Not so that's a, good, that's a good one with the pool example. If you're a pool install- yep. installation business, and someone from five years ago comes to the business today, just after you bought it, says, that's my, like, mm. you installed this. And you'd be like, well, I didn't, but the previous guy did. So then you would still be on the hook as the business, but then you have to recoup from the yeah, person. It, it all depends on the contract. On, yeah, it depends on the contract. That's why I'm saying having a really good lawyer with, you know, reviewing yeah. your contract with the right clause in there is so important. Mm. What happens, that can happen. That can literally happen two days after you settle. Yeah. Someone comes along saying, hey. Skeletons in the closet. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot of risk attached with, sort of buying a business, yeah, which is why it can be so profitable, right? You know, risk and reward are always linked. So that's why you see so many success stories as well because they do take that risk and just, I want to call it luck, but I know it's not luck, but yeah. it comes from, you know, you know, really sort of doing your checks properly. But that's where that sort of main risk lies, which are those skeletons. So Thomas, the tank here, has said mm-hmm. that they think the business is potential filled. That is interesting because I imagine everyone that wants to buy a business thinks it's potential filled. Because why else would you be buying it? Mm-hmm. What uh, I know you guys have got a checklist for this. Like, what are the things that you would be requesting from the vendor or the seller, or the things that you would be expecting to check off the list before you even like determine a valuation and do all this sort of stuff? So a lot of the potential fill sort of component needs to come from the buyer. That's not really a financial check. Yep. It's hard to sort of quantify it because the whole reason it's potential because it's not happening at the moment, right? So, so let's they say, see something that the current owner does not see. Correct, right? And it's really hard to sort of quantify whether it's like a marketing strategy, you know, PR is not right or they see an opportunity to link up with, you know, call it an influencer, they're, you know, their friends and influencer and they're going to get them involved and they yeah. see the potential of building it because the location's good. Yeah. It's really hard to quantify. That has to come from. Yeah, especially buyer. in the example of a pizza shop where if the person is older in age and they're not as savvy with you know, SEO, Instagram ads and how that all works, then yeah, definitely there'd be potential because the market hasn't been tapped into yet. Yeah. So it's hard to sort of just go. That 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 component has yeah. to come from the buyer. No one's going to be able to tell you that. And I guess to okay. to do your ticks and checks, you can run through the list, Daniel. You've, <laughs> you've been doing <laughs> yeah. these. <laughs> yeah. so like our, our job is to more or less validate the data that's provided. We're not here to tell you if it's, a great buy or you yeah. know, you're going to become a millionaire if you buy this business. That's not our job. Our job is to for you to find the business, for you to go, hey, I know I can make this a really good business. Yeah. Can you check everything's that I'm, that the decisions I'm making are based on true and correct figures? Yeah. That's where we can, that's what the due diligence is about. It's about verifying that the business is what it says it is. Yeah. All right. We're not here to tell you great buy. Yeah. This is a steal. You're going to make heaps of money. And right? I guess the, the information requests that we're doing. Yeah, the, like the information requests are very 
in depth. Like you're going through financials probably the last three to five years, depending on what the client wants, through contracts that they've got, lease agreements, employee charts, employee, you know, contracts. Supplier statements, There's especially the pizza shop, because it's it can be predominantly cash-heavy business. You want to make sure that everything's matching. So from matching your point of sales um, system to the bank, you know, is what is what is um, coming up on the point of sale system, does that match the bank? There's, there's an abundance of checks to do, staff wages, going in there, counting customers. What even cu- yeah, even from like owner drawings. Like you need to know how much the owner's taking as well. Yeah. Or uh, how so much I saw that in the notes. I was thinking like, is the owner like drawing something on a piece no. of paper? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, owner drawings. That's so, it, it can be, you know, either wages, dividends, but more essentially it's just any money that the owner takes out. Yep. Right. Like a loan that's been repaid or something like that. That's right. So anything that's associated to the owner, we like to separate, right? Because that owner isn't really part of that business that you're buying. You're, you're not getting separate. the owner. You're getting that's, the, that's exactly getting the right. Yeah. But more importantly, like the owner contributions, are they personally funding this for the last six months because it's not profitable? Yeah. Right. Is that going into the sales, boosting the sales figures? You know, there's there's lots of things that can be done mm. to sort of fabricate figures. So that's where our job and getting someone good to sort of validate all the information that you're getting for you to make the decision. No one's going to turn around and tell you this is a great business. You're going to make heaps of money. Our job is not to do that. Our mm. job is to just check that the information you're using to say that you want this business is more or less true and correct. Is it? So if I just take the other side of this table and I look at the seller, are there things that they can do, like do, are there things that they do to protect themselves? Like in the, unlike the stock exchange, you'll have like the data room, they call it the data room where you can like the all the people that make the decisions can go into a room, air quotes, where they, they have access to information it's like NDA signed and all that sort of stuff. And they see some of the internal systems and whatever to make an informed decision. Is because the reluctance of a seller to give the full information, I can understand that. Mm. Because if the deal doesn't go through, then they've just given everything. Yeah, all the IP's been handed over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do like do you find that like is there a, are there agreements typically in place to protect that? Like you guys as well getting the information? Yeah, we, we've got sort of client advisor confidentiality built in anyway, but there should right. be. Not always. Not Usually, always. especially if, if the person selling is dealing with a broker, before any information is exchanged, right. you you're always signing an NDA. Yeah, the broker some, doesn't hand it over until exactly. you, yeah. You're not going to get that information unless you're signing some type of agreement where everything is confidential. Yeah. They're long agreements. I'm not too sure exactly. Yeah, and that's where the sort of part of that question is sort of our business brokers sort of worth engaging. A lot of the times they probably are because you've got sort of an independent third party running mm. the exchanges. It's not, you know, me asking you, you need to send me this. It's The broker's making it happen. The, the yeah, broker's usually, the one facilitating it. Yeah, they've usually got like an information memorandum where yeah. they've already put together everything that Daniel pretty much went through. And then once you get that, that's when you can dive deeper, do yeah. all your ticks and, and ask the, the right checks. questions, yeah. go through the right mm. checks. You, you find things that they charge um, a nice fee, but yeah, yeah. I was going to ask that. So they get paid a commission basically to facilitate the deal. Yeah. So they're incentivized to make all the information flow as quickly as possible. Exactly, because they make between five and ten percent of the sale. Five and ten percent. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? When you think yeah. about it, some of these businesses, would be millions of dollars. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. So they're very motivated. So that's why business brokers, they're motivated to make the sale as well. So it's, they're not just motivated to just get the, the seller the best purchase price. They want to get the deal over the line. Because ASAP. The long, yeah. Because the longer the deal lasts, the longer it takes for them to get paid. Business brokers, are they worth engaging? Probably. If you get a good one, happy to sort of facilitate both sides. Uh, what, are, what 
would their backgrounds be? Would they be maybe ex-accountants or maybe just in sales just generally? Because you kind of have to understand business models and all that sort of stuff, don't you, to make the deal? Good question. But yeah. No, yeah, you might have to get a business broker <laughs> and ask that question. I, I think it comes from a sales background personally. Yeah, because I, I just don't know any of them. Not in the business space. Obviously, everyone yeah. knows real estate agents, yeah. cars, yeah. salesmen, like people that sell different stuff. But for businesses, if the checks are that big, they would obviously be pretty well credentialed, I'd imagine. Yes, or they've got a, a good backing. Yeah. Right? So the business broker is a great salesman and he's got a team. Yeah. The business that he works for, if he's self-employed, there's usually a team of, of people that would put that together. His job would just be sell. Yeah. Right. Would there be a fundamental understanding? Of course. I often see that they're on, um, like you can go on Real Commercial, which is like realestate.com.au for businesses, and you see all of the brokers on there and some of the information is presented really well, some of it's pretty hideous to be honest. And sometimes it's deliberately hideous so it doesn't like re- reveal what the business is until you sign the NDA. But um, yeah, I've always been fascinated about this sort of stuff. It says here that they um, complete a recognised degree in finance or a certificate or diploma in business and mortgage broking. Oh, right. In Queensland, it says they they hold a real estate um, agent's license. So oh, really could, could be completely by... wrong. It's the first line on Google. <laughs> <laughs> so it varies by state. But so we've obviously got the broker who's incentivized to sell for the maximum price. So that's mm-hmm. obviously important and sell quickly. Yeah. So they're like the lubrication in this deal. Um, they've got the accountants on one side who check everything and once the information is received, can double check things for the buyer. The buyer is obviously incentivized to get a deal done probably quickly, but they need to get funding from the bank who's also going to do their checks and be amongst this and do their own verification, obviously, because they're taking just as much risk by the sounds of it with 50%. And then you've got the seller who's obviously motivated to give you as little information but sell for the maximum price. (laughs) (laughs) And I think if, if your sort of exit strategy as a business is to sell eventually, I think this whole process how important it is for record keeping. Yeah. Like, Built to sell. Have you guys that's right. heard of that book? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I haven't read it. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Yeah. It's that idea, right? That's right. Get an exit strategy, right? Have all the records in play. Have everything, you know, above board and ready to go for exit. How far back do you guys go when you look at the financials? How far back do you go? Three to five years depending on what the, our client wants to see. Yeah, right. Because I'm imagining someone listening to this that might have an exit strategy in mind for selling their business in a few years. They would probably want to start doing that now then if they're two years or three years. I, w- I wouldn't recommend looking at financials any less than three years. Three is the minimum I would look at. Yeah. Why is that? Because they could hide stuff in the most recent period or whatever? No, because you want to see trends. You want to see trends. You want to see growth. You want to see if there's been a decline, why there's a decline, if the decline is going to continue, if there's growth, why is there growth, where's the growth coming from? What are the margins like year to year? Are they consistent? Did you just happen to have a really good year? Especially, Did you have yeah. a big contract come through for the last year, two years that you've been working on? So it's been highly profitable, put you in a really good position. But, you know, a couple of years ago, it wasn't like that. Especially because of COVID. In mm. a food-based business, you probably want to be going further back because you were closed for such a long period of time and your yeah. trading was significantly impacted like yeah, a, any hospitality, right? Exactly. Smashed mm. during the period. Yeah, exactly. And the leases, like there was rent reduction for commercial properties. There was, yeah, it's a nightmare. So job I, seeker, job keeper. Yeah, exactly. All, sort of stuff. Yeah. all of that stuff. That's so right. You wanna, so you want, yeah, you want a couple of years at minimum. You want to see what the changes, what yeah. sparked change in that business, what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. You've got a note in here about some high risk things um, that people maybe should be aware of. Maybe we can quickly tuck these in yeah. on the end. It was like, what are the, the real like 
where you see like red flags popping up again and again, like what are these things? So again, this this will always depend on the business itself. For sure. What type of business you're you're going for. So I'll sort of run through them and we can sort of chat through them. Um, yep. Customer retention, really, really important. That more stems for like service-based businesses. So if someone's used to dealing mm. with someone, they might be reluctant to use a new person, especially if it's from a different demographic. So let's say, for example, if Jordan and I were to choose to buy an accounting firm, from a you know a retiree, would the clients yeah. want to come over to, you know, to younger guys? To, who, yeah. to younger guys, are we going to get the same respect from the clients, the yeah. original owner, or are they going to choose someone else like the original owner? So yeah. the customer retention component is really important. Contracts they're really really important. So whether it's supplier agreements, um, job contracts, ongoing works that are sort of going through. Building company, for example, if they've got a big contract with a with a major building company and they've had it for you know five years, for example, the building of Barangaroo, if that comes to an end, there's no other contracts in place. You can't really value that business at that contract. So reviewing the contracts becomes really really important, sort of in terms of getting the income to continuously flow in. Then you've got personal relationships with vendors. So whether even pricing, right? So if there's a two friends, one's retail, one's wholesale. Wholesale gives the retailer a good price, hence increasing the margins. If you don't have the same relationship, you're going to increase your pricing by 20%. Yeah, again, eats yeah. eat into your margin, right? So being able to assess things like that, try and find areas where you can spot relationships as well is really important. Non-compete clauses, this is where we're getting a really good solicitor is important, not just you know the cheapest person you can find, is having the non-compete. What if this guy sells or girl sells the business to you and then just starts a new one down the road and takes all Wait, his clients, but you've paid him premium. Yeah. So there's a, there's a risk as well. So you've got to factor in that this person isn't allowed to compete with you, yeah. whether it's within a kilometre radius, a time period. Or a combo. Or yeah. both. That's all exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, again, dependent on the industry. In finance, um, we call that gardening leave. Where they have to, they, if they sell their business, they can't go to, like, they can't start anything that's similar. So we just call it gardening leave. You'll see it on people's LinkedIn profiles. It'll be like gardener. They just take, ah. take the piss. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I like that. I can't um, wait to be a gardener. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, you've got employees. Like, you've got to, you've got to be able to earn these employees' respect. If they think they know more about the line of work than you do, you've got to keep them around as well, keep yeah. them incentivized. You know, even potentially reassure them not much is going to change. They're still going to, in the same workplace and then now going back to even the person right if you're a plumber and you decide to buy a pizza shop you've got no hospitality experience mm. none right and it's two very different lines of work very difficult high labor hours like you you really need to be in the business to understand the business with hospitality as well so having that lack of industry experience could also be crucial yep. to not taking that business to its potential um and that goes back down to even further than you know switching industries. If you're an employee, you've never run a business and you want to buy a $2 million enterprise, you are going to struggle with the yeah. workload, with managing staff, with managing contracts, running a business as, as a whole. And sort of the last sort of main trade-off I wanted to talk about, and this was actually brought up by a client. And I was like, oh, this is a fantastic question, which is, Buying versus setting up from scratch, right? So if you've got a budget, what could you do starting from zero with that same budget? If you had, let's use, you know, $200,000 as, mm. as a random price gauge, if 
afterwards for buy a business for two hundred thousand dollars, what would you get? Versus how long could you go doing it yourself with two hundred thousand dollars? What could you buy? What could you set up? Could you create things from scratch yourself? And where would you be in five years' time? Could you be further ahead doing mm. it from zero yourself with two hundred grand versus just going into something already existing? That's a really big trade-off there. You know, if there's a low barrier of entry for a business, two hundred grand goes a goes a long way. That can fund you for a long time, versus going straight into a business and not learning the the, the tricks of the trade, which you do when you start from zero. When we look at uh, like there's multiple ways to value businesses. That's one way that you can value businesses. It was actually really popular by a guy called Professor Bruce Greenwald in the US. He talks about I think he called it the reconstructed balance sheet, mm-hmm. where you look at everything on the balance sheet of a company, and then you like like the the property plan and equipment, I don't know, the whatever they own, like intellectual property, email list, all that stuff, how much would it cost you to replicate that instantly? And the one thing where I think people get a bit tripped up is um, they don't know how long it takes. So like they could measure like what's on the balance sheet, adjusting for depreciation over time and whatever. But a lot of the time, some of the things that you want, it would take, it's an unknown amount of time that it would take you to get 50,000 people on a mailing yeah. list or the brand value or things like this, it, that's kind of the unknown where you have to kind of be a bit more imaginative. Correct. So that's a good point. I would actually add a couple extra things to your list as you're going through there. Mm-hmm. One is getting guarantees from the seller about any legal matters that might be pending. So being very deliberate with the wording around are there any copyright, trademark, letters of, like note from solicitors in any regard over the last X period or currently to the best of your knowledge and making it like a personal guarantee. Mm. Like that's what I had to do recently because I just wanted to make sure because you never know. That's the type of dark horse that- That's like, very common in contracts though. That's like mm. the the couple contracts that I've seen sort of recently, they've all had that built into it already. Which it's more of like a declaration from the current owner. Yeah. There is no sort of pending litigation that yeah. is either present or going to be present that they may know of. Yeah. There's generally a declaration in there for the owner. That's good. To sort of sign off on it and be like, yeah, no, nothing. We're good. As you guys know, I kind of did this recently and I winged it uh, myself. So <laughs> within three days. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like thinking of all the things that could go wrong. And I just made those dot points in my very brief contract that I put together. <laughs> I didn't even have anyone look over it. Napkin <laughs> deal. Yeah, that's it. But it worked. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> You haven't been sued yet or anything? Yeah, no. <laughs> Give it a few weeks. Um, but yeah, like th- th- those are all really high risk areas and considerations for people to reflect on. Yeah. And yeah. one more thing just before we wrap up. What, what is quite common as well is if you're to buy a business, a lot of the time you can say to the current owner, can you stay in the business for three months or yeah, six that's, months? That's something before too, yeah. Just even if it's a couple of days a week, so you can slowly start to understand how he operates or he or she operates and how the business works, the ins and outs. That is so important, especially if you're going into an industry you have no idea about. Yeah, absolutely. I was also thinking like if I was going to buy a business that I wasn't intimately familiar with, I'd probably request that I, if the vendor would let me do this, work in the business sure. before yeah. actually making a proper deal. And then that also allows you to spot those employees, Daniel, that you were referring to before yeah. that might have concerns and or might be in a position where they might want equity mm-hmm. in the business because exactly. they want to take responsibility, in which case it might be easier for you to make the transition because you can trust that if you give them or they buy 10% equity in what you, in the business, 
you can guarantee that they're going to hang around and they know all the tricks already because they're in the business. Correct. It's kind of exciting. I think buying a business is a very exciting thing. I just say don't get swept up in all of the emotion that comes with it. Try and remove the emotion as best as you can. Yeah. Fact check everything because it's such a big you know, thing. It's not like buying a property when you can see it and you can be like, okay, it's a property. It's got that. You know, that's the land and here's the easement that is on the thing that I have to get supplied yeah. anyway. Like it's all in front of me. This is like there's so many different facets to yeah. this. Oh, the, the biggest sort of recommendation I've got to most people is be ready to walk away because you don't want to be in a position you've requested information, things aren't adding up and you're not getting responses. Sort of the, the best sort of example I use, it's like buying a house but you only get to peek through the window. So you've yeah. seen it from the outside you're peeking in through a window. You don't really know what's on the inside. It's probably a really good example I use, especially if sellers are withholding information. Yeah, they're just a, more or less coming around saying that we're not giving it to you. That's a major concern. That'd be a major concern. Yeah, that's me. a big I red do. flag. Yeah, that's the first thing I say to people is like that. This is a red flag because the information being requested is generic. You know, we're not asking for you know, the person, the personal deed to their house or anything like that. Like yeah. search what, history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we're literally asking for general business documents. We're not asking for anything personal. Yeah. We're not, there's no identity fraud that can be yeah. done via the information we're requesting. So if someone's saying no, first thing I'm doing is saying, hey, this is a is this red up? flag. Yeah. It's a red flag. Yeah. Be ready to walk away. Don't get emotionally attached to it until mm. you more or less sign the contract, in my opinion. Great advice. And just an FYI then for anyone that uh, is worried that I just dived into it, (laughs) the deal was very, like in the scheme of things, very small for us. And it wasn't a business that I was buying as IP. So it's very different. If we were buying a business in in this question from Thomas the Tank, which is a great question, so keep them coming from scratch. That's a totally different, take us, take, like be slow in this process and be like really, I guess, particular in what you need and want and get comfortable. And obviously engage uh, accountants. Like these two gents right here, mm-hmm. Daniel and Jordan, a great space advisor. You'll find a link in the show notes to them. Uh, they can also help you find lawyers and other specialists that you might need. And obviously having experience on your side is going to pay off in a massive way. Well, gents, really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the RASC website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.